Two Real Witches. Hello and blessed be. I'm Oak. And I'm Danny. We're just a couple of practicing witches seeking initiation into a Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. Every full moon and new moon, we're discussing things we're learning and researching, sharing magical discourse, and hold space for other witches to do the same. We're two real witches, shooting the shit and nerding out on magical topics. So if you're into the occult, the esoteric, or the otherworldly, come hang out with us in the liminal space of sound. In today's episode, we're going to take a trip through the Blue Ridge Mountains slash the Appalachian Mountains, um, learning about Appalachian folk magic from both my experience and kind of the agglomation of resources out there that approach this topic from their regional areas. So uh, go ahead and put on your hiking boots and, and let's find our roots. So... Why are we talking about this today? Um, again, kind of as Oak and I are exploring topics and kind of um, getting more familiar with things that are interesting to us, this is very near and dear to my heart. Um, my family is from the Blue Ridge Mountains um, up kind of in the Virginia, West Virginia border. And so um, this is something I've kind of experienced throughout my life and probably didn't realize until I was maybe a teenager that... Uh, these are not things other families and people are doing. Um, and so this has kind of just been one of those things that is uh, really important to me and, and important to kind of keep alive um, because so much is it, of it, as we'll talk about later, is kind of falling by the wayside as time goes on. And so wanting to to really fledge that out and kind of keep these practices alive. And then as far as my qualifications, let's give the disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Let me let me disclaim your disclaimer. I okay. I love uh, that. Just want to point out that uh, there's, I think, a common feeling that I have when I try to talk about any topic that I actually feel like I know something about, whether that's experiential or because I've researched the topic. I think it's very easy for me to shy away from sharing what I know because I don't. Uh, maybe have the bonifications to say that I'm an expert. Mm. Um, or maybe I think we sometimes feel like we have to be an expert in order to share information. Um, I don't know if that's just because, you know, <laughs> we lack the white male confidence. Uh, <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Danny, I'm really excited for you to talk about this. And I think you're absolutely qualified based on the fact that this is years of you experiencing it firsthand. Um, also, uh, this is something that you have, you know, researched, found books, spent time thinking about discussing, challenging. So I'm really excited for you to talk about it. And I think you're absolutely qualified, at least in, yeah, like this very casual podcast formula. You're not trying to write a book and just regurgitate things that other people have researched. Um, so yeah. let me just hype you up and say, I'm very excited to hear what you have You're to say. You're such a good hype woman. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really just scratching the surface here um, and really sharing things that either I know firsthand or that when I read about them, I was like, oh, yeah, that that lines up. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but Appalachia is also humongous. I mean, it, it's stretching from way up high to way down low. So um, there are definitely things that are converse to what I know, definitely things that are um, very different than what I've experienced. And so um, if you're listening to this and you're like, this is completely different from what I'm used to. If you're from Mississippi, you have a very different experience. Um, and that's super cool. Would love to hear about it, but you're probably not going to hear about it here. 
Fair. I think that's very fair to say. <laughs> but before we get into that, what you up to? Oak, tell me, what's going on with you? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, well, I think <laughs> we have spent almost every weekend together for the last couple of weekends. Um, so I think uh, I'm just living my best magical life with you. Uh, most recently, Love we it. attended what seems to be the second annual uh, Magic Summer Fest in Orlando, Florida. And we spent two days um, taking in information, buying things we said we wouldn't buy <laughs> per the last episode. Uh, but, uh, you know, mostly taking in information. I think we, I think we both showed restraint. Um, yeah. So tell me um, about, you know, what were your biggest takeaways? Obviously, we could spend a whole podcast kind of highlighting our experiences and um, giving like best practices or maybe things that we've done, like awkwardly leave a session that wasn't vibing with you and letting the door slam. <laughs> Fuck, that was so awkward. I felt so bad. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my um, gosh. I don't but, even, but I don't other than that, that, explore that. That was my low light. So what are your highlights? <laughs> So I think there were, I think we both got like different things out of it, which is great. It's really nice when a bunch of different people can come together and like really like handpick like what really spoke to them, made a lot of sense. Um, for me, we had an ancestral healing group um, that was actually really great for me. I got some really good highlights from that that I think will hopefully bring a lot of peace to my grandmother um, and, and approached it in a different way that I'm not sure I would have come across kind of on my own. So um, really appreciated that. And then also from Stacey Williams Ng, I think that's the correct pronunciation of her second last name, but um, she really had something to say about iconography and um, things that your ancestors would and wouldn't know. And talking about if you are looking to connect with your ancestors Probably using tarot isn't your best bet, especially if we're talking like the Rider Waite Smith deck. Probably not your best bet because um, they didn't study that. Probably they they don't have like the knowledge of what those cards mean. So maybe choosing decks or choosing methods that are familiar to them have that have familiar um, pictures or iconography that they can more accurately kind of commune with you is mm. better. So okay, I did not talk attend that a little later. Yeah, I did not attend that session. So oh, it, was, it was so good. She was so great. She's a graphic designer um, and just had a lot of really – she wasn't really just trying to like push her product. She really was trying to like talk to us about um, like what makes an alphabet versus what makes a pictorial alphabet versus, you know, all of those things um, that as someone not inside of the graphic design field was super interesting to me. Love that. Yeah. What about you? I know you had some some really fun things. <laughs> Yes. Um, there were a couple of sessions that I think were bringing up some novel ideas for me. Um, the one that I think was most aligned to my current interest and maybe gave me some, some new ideas was the Thelema and Gardnerian witchcraft uh, workshop. It was a, a working relationship was the subtitle and that was by Joanne McCombs. And she is also based out of Florida. This is obviously a Florida event. So mostly Florida presenters. Um, so it was really 
cool for me to hear about the Thelema kind of overlaps and how she has integrated Thelema and the Gardnerian practice. I don't know if she really kind of went into her personal approaches and how she, I don't think there's any integration. I think she just like practices those things side by side, but she did a good job, I think, having a comparative analysis of the two and showing the similarities and showing potentially the differences. And, um, I, you know, I know about the OTO, I know Golden Dawn, I haven't gone too deep in my research about those topics, although it is becoming more and more interesting to me as I learn more about ceremonial witchcraft. Um, but it was, uh, interesting to hear about the differences. I think she did a good job presenting. She's a teacher by day of little humans. I think she said little gangsters, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she clearly is really great at presenting. I would absolutely give feedback uh, to the present the, the organizers of the event that um, she was a highlight. So that, that was really great. We both attended the astrology workshop Um by Joseph. He goes by stars by Joseph on Instagram. We can link um, him as well in our show notes. And I got a couple of novel ideas um, out of that. I, I think, you know, astrology is so interesting because it's like, I probably could have heard those same ideas previously, but I just wasn't ready to integrate the information or maybe like, I didn't even know what they were talking about. But so <laughs> being able to hear things like houses are reflections of each other across, um, mm -hmm. you know, across from each other. So uh, they're kind of the opposites, but the same, like those were, there's just some, a couple of novel ideas around transits and uh, chart interpretation that I really appreciated hearing. And I just was like, loving how he was presenting information in not just like yes. a love and light way, but like a oh, girl, that's going to happen. Or like, <laughs> Ooh, oh, you had yeah. something great. You know, like actually having, I, I know that bedside manner is something that's really a sensitive topic in astrology. And I have in, mm, I've had interactions with astrologers where I'm like, will you just tell me what's happening? Because I feel like mm -hmm. you're not actually telling me what's happening. I feel like you're afraid to tell me, which makes it even worse. <laughs> Right. You know, they're like, well, this time could be a real wild card. I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? What do you mean wild card? Um, so I appreciated he had, for me, uh, the right amount of edge and shadow and uh, real talk. Uh, so I really liked his his style. And And to be totally frank, I just haven't heard that many people go through like many readings um, and seeing their chart. So I thought that was really interesting now that I do have more information and base knowledge and familiarity with all of these terms, I could really follow along and understand and see how he's thinking about things differently than I am. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, those are the big highlights for me. Uh, we could go, like I said, we could keep going here, but um, Danny, <laughs> tell me, let's transition into our fire updates. Um, what are mm -hmm. you, what, what irons do you have burning in your fire? Well, we're coming up on the summer solstice, so I'm starting to kind of craft the ideas for my oil. Summer's always like one of those harder times for me to like pick a theme because there's so many themes kind of going on. It's like the height of all the things, right? It's the height of all the, the berries and the, the things and the like so much is going on where like May, I feel like it's very, you know, Beltane lovey, right? Mm -hmm. All the things are coming to be. And then August, like height of summer is very like, 
everything's coming to fruition. But this is like that in-between growing time where I feel like it's really hard to like make a scent for that. Mm. So I'm kind of working on crafting that um, and then getting ready to do my my next wine. So Love it. Sticking with your consistency. You're being you consistent know, with your consistency. Do. <laughs> um, I am in the throes of a little craft project myself. Um, I am making astrology board, uh, an astrology I'm board. I'm so excited. I need to know more about this. I'm okay. very excited. So there's a couple of different versions. I'll put a link in the show notes here of like an Etsy shop and, and them selling it. And essentially, a Zodiac uh, rep- representation is placed on a board. And it really cannot, unless it has kind of like a bi-wheel that spins on the outside and changes shape, it really couldn't represent like your houses necessarily. But what is astrology boards are generally used for is just in a more 3D way, articulating the placements of the planets in their zodiacal placement. Um, and so one way would be to, as you're doing a cons- consultation for another person, um, you know, being able to physically hold a rock or a disc of um, wood that has, you know, the sign for that planet, like being able to actually place that on a wheel and show them. It, it, I don't know, there's something more tactile and easier mm-hmm. to understand. For me, I'm going to be using it because I'm not doing readings for people, because uh, <laughs> that would be irresponsible. And actually just really boring. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, I'm going to be using it to um, just mirror the transits that are currently happening and represent where planets currently are, just so I have a deeper connection to that, like on a daily basis. Not that they change on a daily basis. Some of them do. But um, yeah, and I, and I think this is going to just help me continue to build my familiarity with the order of the zodiac. I mean, there's so much shit to memorize when it comes to astrology, right? So there's some things that I'm like, oh, wait, what comes after Capricorn? You know, Uh, so just having a physical um, tool that helps me build my familiarity, I think I'm I'm really excited Mm -hmm. about. And it's literally just going to be like, I mean, I can show you here. It's like a disc of wood that's like 12 inches. I just got this like um, off in a craft store and then I painted it. Isn't it cute? I painted it black and then I used this kind of like little acrylic paint on top of it to kind of create these like nebulous forms. Um, And then I'm going to go through and make the little pie uh, charts, uh, Zodiac placements and kind of use like little white paint pens to like draw out that Zodiac, the major kind of um, stars that make up that Zodiac. And then this black paint that I put on the actual um, wood itself is magnetic. Oh, cool. Right. So, and this is an inspiration that I got from this other content creator. Um, I'm forgetting her name, and I definitely will bring it up when I go into my um, presentation <laughs> um, on astrology because she's super cool. But I have these little um, magnets, and so I'm going to put uh-huh. on the bottom of my planets, which are going to be different um, crystal orbs. Um, I'm going to put this on the bottom of them so that it can like actually stick to the board and not move around so much and not like roll That's off. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's her. I just stole it off of her. I'm just ripping her off. So I'll definitely cite yeah, her. No, that, they're brilliant. <laughs> Whoever they are, that was brilliant. Yeah. Because in my mind, I was like, how are you going to do the de- like move? Are you going to make little notches for it to sit in or like how? Right. That's so smart. Yep. That is so smart. Magnetic paint. We're living in the future. What is happening? <laughs> 
Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, with all the other things that we have going on um, within our outer court, uh, that's all I'm doing. Um, yeah. How are you feeling? What are you up to? Are you overwhelmed by the, by the amount of things that we're doing in our, in our occult life? Um, and going I, on, I, and this is a busy time work-wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like the universe was like, okay, listen, she's not going to be able to enjoy all the things that are going on if we don't pump the brakes on something because we had a major setback at work that I am so happy about. And I'm trying to like contain my excitement. There are definitely huge drawbacks to it, but I'm trying to contain my excitement because it kind of gave me like an extra month or so to play with. And it is giving me all the time that I need to like really focus on being present and not just constantly on or like planning the next thing or thinking about the next thing. I can really like, like this weekend was probably the first time I haven't taken my work phone with me everywhere in, I don't know, maybe since December. Okay. Uh, so I, I literally left it at home while we went to Summer Magic Fest and just let it be. And Nobody was constantly like following up with me. It was glorious. I came home anticipating that like I was going to have to play an hour playing catch up with everybody and everything. And I really just had to like follow up on some emails. It was amazing. That's that's awesome. And I'm sure it's actually going to be better in the long run for the business for that um, hiccup. So it's not, I'm sure you're not just yeah. being selfish. I'm sure there's also business um, benefits to that slowdown. Um, for sure. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, with our water updates, um, (laughs) I am dealing with some family drama where I am unexpectedly having to financially have some burden that I wasn't expecting. And, you know, I'm processing that. I think that this has a lot to do with my Chiron placement. And, um, so it's really, for me, honestly, I have been dealing with the stress using, you know, meditation. Um, and that's been really useful to help me gain perspective to not be reactive, but to find mm. the lessons and the meanings in the situation. Um, I'll give you an example. So I, you know, at work, I, I, I love my job. I really love the work that I do, but I'm such like a Scorpio, like, like not sabotager, but like I reinvent myself so often that I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what's next? What's next? Am I supposed to be doing this job or should I just like go leave this job and, and focus full time on being an astrologer to then make money that way? Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I, I'm so like down for whatever and like reinventing myself. And so I had been at this kind of place where I'm like, do I, you know, keep committing and keep focusing on making money um, or not? And when this thing presented itself and it was like, oh, yeah, bitch, like, we need you to make money and you need to be the, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, help people financially. Like it, it gave me clarity around like, got got it. Cool. Okay. So I don't mm-hmm. have to wonder if I'm supposed to be doing something else with my life, if I'm not, you know, following my will, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. because this gave me clarity. So, you know, just finding like the lessons in that and then also leveraging astrology to, again, find the lessons, find the messages that should be clear to me, give me some guidance around when things may be more intense or less intense. But yeah, I mean, I'm going through it um, in a way that I had not expected. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm fe- I'm feeling, yeah. I'm in my feelings. <laughs> yeah, which is totally fine. I It is one of the things I really appreciate. Like most people would be afraid 
of like reinventing themselves or like giving up something that for a period of time has held so much importance to them. And that is one of the things I appreciate so much about you is like, yeah, no, I'm just going to jump in feet first into something that may or may not work out. We'll kind of see how it goes. And I, I feel like you're getting that that itch to like jump to the next thing. And the universe was like, um, wait a whole second. Mm-hmm. Just maybe take a breath. Let's let's recalibrate and think about this for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad to have clarity. So thanks for seeing me, Danny. <laughs> I appreciate you. All right. And then jumping into earth stuff, challenges and purchases. Um, so also Stacy Williams ing. Um, just really <laughs> she makes an Oracle deck. I've never been a big Oracle deck person, right? And she could totally called us on that. She's like, a lot of people are like, I don't really like Oracle decks because they're like so love and light and whatever. And she's like, but it's kind of like when people say to me, like, oh, I can't do art. They're like, she's like, okay, did you just try like drawing or have you tried painting? Have you tried sculpting? Have you tried? She was like, there are that many kinds of Oracle decks out there. And so um, really inspired by what she was talking about. I started looking at Oracle decks and she actually helped create, co-create one, um, the Southern Gothic Oracle that has a lot of iconography that is very familiar to my family. Mm-hmm. And so I have decided I'm going to take that on as like a, a means of communing with ancestors as opposed to like trying to use methods that just haven't been super great for me. Um, trying to use tarot or trying to use um, something else like that and just struggling. So um, I have purchased that. I also purchased another damn book. That damn book. I, I mean, I said it was going to happen. So you, it's not as if like I told you so, but like, you, girl, give yourself grace at this point. <laughs> Don't judge yourself. <laughs> 23 is not 24 is not that many (laughs) well it's still 23 i did read one of them so yeah so i'm really just back to where i'm back to baseline which is totally fine yeah what if we're like a one in one out kind of uh place what what if that's where you're at and and i guess we'll see i guess we'll see (laughs) if i actually make the headway because the other problem is like as time goes on new things become important pick up different books and i'm like oh i have to read this by x deadline so, you know, it's it's finding the time to make these books that I have put on the back burner, not because they're not great. They just haven't been kind of front of mind for me, um, making the time for those. So, okay. I thought of a very good a lucky excuse. number. I thought of a very good excuse. Tell me. What if all these books get banned? What if in our crazy DeSantis future uh, apocalyptic version of Handmaiden's Tale that seems to be a option of our future, (laughs) what if these books are banned? And so you're actually just creating this amazing occult library that people are going to um, ask you to borrow books and stuff like that. Can you use that justification? Does that feel good? I I accept (laughs) that mission. I, I I volunteer as tribute. Like I will, that's, yes. That's what I'll do. Um, I only have approximately another 150 books on my list to purchase mm-hmm. before I can officially say I have completed my library. But absolutely. Listen, you're just going to be like the Library of Alexandria, but you're not going to get burned down. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I have uh, been totally inspired by the palm stone um, process that you were describing. And so Mm -hmm. I purchased at Mm -hmm. the festival, some palm stones, which I'm really excited about. I need to, you know, do some cleansing, all that good stuff. But did you see me get these? 
I well, is this the same place that not to out you, but that you went back to multiple days in a row? Yes, but I didn't buy the first day. Okay, I was inventorying. <laughs> My process is first take inventory, and then you're able to make decisions. Okay, so um, no, I, I haven't seen the palm stones. This is okay. very. This makes my heart so happy. So I got like this That's moss beautiful. agate, which is beautiful. This is for I'm giving. This is giving me um, north vibes. So this is for my like directional north representation. And then I have this labyrinth, which is I already connect to like um, mental considerations and, you know, Mm -hmm. meditations around just the, the mental aspects. And then I have red Jasper, which I'm living for, um, for South. And then, yeah, just amethyst for, oh no, no shit. This is fluorite. Just kidding. Um, this is fluorite for, um, the West. So I'm excited to be inspired by your palm stone, uh, meditations. And I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a little, a little try in that. See, try out my hand in that. Is that the same? Literally. I mean, they're palm stones. Okay. Literally trying your hand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Try your hand at, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I also, you know, since I moved into this new house, I haven't previously, I had this very crafty little tree that I would place ornaments on, like the glass ornaments that you would see Mm -hmm. around like on Christmas trees that are like (laughs) very cheesy. I had glass ornaments for each Sabbath and I would decorate the tree, you know, because it's like a skeleton of a tree. Um, And I had Mm -hmm. that set up at my last house, but I have not yet gone through all of my um, holiday decor and set it up yet. So I, there was a uh, lady that was selling like Sabbath, uh, altar cloths. And so I mm-hmm. got a set of Sabbath altar cloths, like all eight of them, and she's going to send them to me. And, um, cause I didn't want to take all of her floor models. <laughs> Oops. Right. Um, and so she's going to send them to me and yeah, and I'm excited to get my altar Sabbath altar set up with all of my deco that I currently have. And then Love adding that. a little new, it does say like Mabon and Ostara. I was thinking about messaging her and saying like, Hey, can we not? Because like Mabon's made up and like Ostara was like, maybe a goddess. Like I feel strongly about this. Yeah. It's yeah. why I have never bought a wheel of the year for that same reason is because again, it's here or there. I, I don't, it doesn't hold specific meaning to me, but um, I, do prefer the other names for some of them. And so I'm like, yeah. Could I could could someone make me one yeah. with the names that I want on it? Can we just do spring equinox? It's we don't need to yeah. make it like so, yeah, a star. Also, Anyways. Equinox is a great word. At hello. Oh, I oh. like that one. Well why do we have to change that up. Why am I saying equinox? Yeah, it's equinox. Not equinox solstice. equinox. Yeah, because solstice is the the summer and winter. Yes. Yeah. Equinox. Yes. Okay. I All get those mixed up lovely. sometimes. Dyslexia strikes again. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, see, I think we did good. I don't think we spent too much. I don't think we did too many consumering behaviors. We spent way more on food, which, hey, in my opinion, was necessary. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We yeah. had a really lovely dinner at a so at Tori Tori. I don't know if it, if anybody's in Orlando, they should go there. It's T O R I T O R I. They had some Michelin like recognition on the on the front. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was it was great. Great cocktails. There was a lot of gluten free options for you, Danny. And that was glorious because I never really really know what I'm walking into mm-hmm. unless like someone has their like menu really clearly posted online. And so oh, it was so nice just to yeah. be able to kind of like pick really from 
pretty limitless options, which is great. Yeah. And it was Asian too. So you're, you're the fact that there wasn't soy in everything because it's like tapas right. style Asian stuff. And yeah, that was actually quite surprising. When I, I'd been there before and I'm like, oh yeah, it's so great. There's rice. But then I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like soy actually will also kill you. Not just pasta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like what, depending on, yeah, what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the trick. It's all that hidden gluten. It's not just the bread and the mm-hmm, pasta that they get mm-hmm. you with, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for catching up. Um and okay. I think next time we do a large event like that, uh, we should probably do like a full episode reviewing it and maybe giving like some tips of things that we've learned or maybe some do's and don'ts of attending like a magic festival. This one was indoors. So yeah. I think a lot of the tips I would normally give have more to do also with navigating the elements because normally pagan events are outdoors. So this was a little unique. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that would make it a really interesting topic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I want to traverse into Appalachian folk magic. I, I'm just loving it. You're like, put on your hiking boots. Let's find our roots. Let's traverse the topics. Let's climb that hill. I'm I'm, I'm living for all of the... I'm, I'm trying to steep you guys in it a little bit, you know, like trying to like yeah. dip you into it. There is something, and I always say this to people, and I'm sure it sounds hokey, but um, there is something about that area that is so energetically different than anywhere I've been in my life. And the practical side of me is always like, yeah, it's because you, it feels like going home because you have lots of good, happy memories there. Like, of course it feels different. I'm sure that (laughs) feels the same way to everyone's favorite place, like childhood place. Um, But people will often describe the same thing, um, particularly about where I'm from, from the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, that that area just feels magical. And we'll talk about later how like even people who um, maybe avoid witchcraft or witch still very much recognize magic and and that it exists there isn't kind of the push away of magic as a concept but there is this intentional avoidance of witchcraft as a mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. and so but people often describe the magic of that area and they don't just mean the beauty they they really mean like when you go out into the woods there's something different there when you stand on a mountain there's something different there and um it's quite a lovely place to be. So it, it is somewhere that kind of has my heart and that yeah. I really enjoy talking about. Yeah, I, I've um, really only had a couple of experiences in the mountains there, like in Tennessee. And um, yeah, I would I would agree. Like a creek, just like flowing. There's like waterfalls. There's so many really interesting um, nature occurrences. I, you know, I always feel like when I'm in the <laughs> Appalachian uh, mountains that I'm always like waiting to see a gnome pop out of somewhere. I'm like, if right? I saw it, I'd be like, oh yeah, yep, there they are. I knew they were that tracks. The time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, like almost expect something amazing to happen. Yeah. Um, so it's <laughs> that's why I think why it has a reputation for that. Is is it magic doesn't seem out of place there? Yeah, it seems very of place there. 
So you're going to do the same kind of format that we've done for the other um, deep dive. So we're going to do like the whole air being about like information, terminologies, books people can reference. We're going to do the fire. um, So being like actions and different practices that people can, people in that area uh, would recognize or people could potentially consider and adopt if that's something that's calling to them. And then getting into the water aspect aspects, which is, you know, what are the history, um, historical aspects of the topic that you have been able to find? And, you know, what are your personal feelings? And then finally, we'll finish up with, you know, as uh, like integration, what challenges have you experienced continuing to leverage more and more of these practices into your life? Obviously, I have nothing to contribute (laughs) in these ways. I mean, you know, I grew up country, y'all, and my people were in that area, but I definitely was Florida, Georgia more so than um, mountains. So I'm going to hopefully just help you highlight some things and give you some prompts that way you feel like you're not talking the whole time. Give yourself an opportunity <laughs> to grab some water. Um, but really, you're running the show here, Danny. So so uh, yeah, let's jump into the air topics. Um, I think you have here like the ideas of it's probably useful for us to create some definitions. Certainly when you're describing things, these are terms that I'm familiar with, but I don't know if someone said, well, what is that? I could really answer. So I'm So yeah, like take us into some definitions that you think would be helpful for us to know. Yeah. So I think first off, when so when people we say Appalachia, like people are like, okay, Appalachian Mountains, or if you're not from anywhere near that, you say Appalachian Mountains, um, and like where is that exactly? Well, it is kind of a conglomeration of a few different mountain ranges. Um, the one I'm most familiar with, where my family's from, is the Blue Ridge Mountains, but it really extends from southern New York. You'll hear places that say from Pennsylvania, but if you really look at the mountain range, it goes all the way into southern New York all the way down to Mississippi, kind of northeastern Mississippi. Um, and because of, you know, when you think about those states and, and the things you probably kind of know or um, maybe stereotype about those states, it, those are very different places. When I say New York and Mississippi, you're like, what? Like those two places don't probably seem very familiar to you. Um, I know if you talk to certain parts of Virginia, West Virginia, they would say they are nothing alike. Um, and so it is a very wide area that has many different kind of factions and regions, um, of especially of belief. And that's part of why it's really difficult to get any real like point to a body of work that's like, that's Appalachian folklore, that's Appalachian folk magic, because it really runs so far. And things have kind of evolved from place to place and kind of the natural migration of people. So it's very hard to point to anything and say, that's Appalachian, um, because that can run really the gamut of all of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens with most cultures over time. People, unfortunately, mm-hmm. move around and make it complicated for us to define them. Um, you'll see that with like Celtic, um, that culture and traditions and yes. like, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's quite common. So that makes sense. Right. And then I want to get into the other piece of that word, folk magic, right? What does that mean? Um, and I, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer, the definition itself, right? So it's non-traditional in the sense that it isn't codified or initiatory. But I think if you told people from there that it was non-traditional, that would seem very converse to them because most people are taught by family members and the practices are developed and evolving over time to meet the needs of 
the folks, right? So when we say folk magic, it was developed by the folks and passed along to the folk um, by each other. So um, for them, they would say that is traditional, right? It, it was passed down from my grandmother. It was passed down from my grandparents. But it is non-traditional in the sense that it isn't codified. It isn't initiatory. Um, it's not like Wicca, right? And I have then a really I want to jump joke. in. I have a really bad joke. Please think. tell me. Folk magic is the fubu of the magic world for us by us. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think we should maybe co it. I think FUBU is maybe going through a downturn at this moment. So oh, perhaps, right. okay. perhaps we could like, you know, change up our marketing scheme, I yeah. think. Yeah, no, I think it's funny, like folk magic of the folks. It's like saying like people magic. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. Y'all means all. Y'all. Um, all of that. Um So then we want to talk about granny magic. And this has kind of had a a recent resurgence. And I think people who may be new to Appalachian magic, Appalachian folklore might think that this has been like a long standing. And I see it all the time in Facebook groups. They're like, does anyone have like bona fide granny magic? And I'm like, yeah, we all have grandparents. Like, I don't understand the question because it is kind of illogical in and of itself. Um, it's a really relatively new term. It is highly sought after in a lot of Appalachian groups. Um, but really, I think it likely originates from knowing that your grandmother, typically the matriarch of the family, maybe a great grandmother, a lot of uh, families had, had children very young, so many generations are alive. Um, so insert your local name if that's Mama, me, ma, granny, Grammy. Um, that person held a lot, a massive amount of Appalachian folk knowledge because they like have been here the whole dang time, right? And so the, these people, I think, became um, kind of the heads of the knowledge, the holders of the knowledge, kind of logistically. Um, but I think coming from the outside, a lot of people think that that. It is a style of magic or, and I think there's like this movement to like make that a thing. Um, and, and it's fetch. You're, you're not going to make it fetch. Uh, we're not going to do that. So it's become kind of this funny thing to me to see. Um, because I think people, what they're asking for is history. They're asking for knowledge, but what they're really getting is like, well, my grandmother used to make this self. Like, and again, it's so far and wide that I think to say like anything is bona fide or codified um, would be a misstep. Um, but I, it's funny to me to see this like uh, rise of granny magic because I also just picture like a bunch of old ladies like knitting and like speaking incantation. So it just has a very funny like picture in my brain. I hope we're future of the granny magic image in your Please. head. Yeah. Please. Like I, I'm going <laughs> to imprint our unusually young looking faces for grannies um yeah, I love onto that. that image hashtag goals <laughs> granny granny <laughs> gangster goals i love it <laughs> and then conjure so we'll talk a lot about conjure magic and when i'm talking conjure i think that has a lot of different common connotations for people depending on where you're from and what you know about conjure so when i'm talking about conjure i'm to calling about people who literally call on spirit or entity. Um, so conjurers in Appalachian folk magic often use either the Bible to call out certain Christian entity like saints or the Holy Ghost um, to aid in workings. However, 
um, some to many, again, it's hard to, to quantify these things, but some to many conjurers don't use the Bible. So if they came from more of a background like mine, that was not kind of um, so steeped in Christianity, um, they may use or, or call upon land spirits or ancestral spirits. So where we would maybe use the term invocation, they would use the term conjuring. And then a crossroads. So I think a lot of us are familiar with the concepts of the crossroads, meeting at the crossroads, leaving things at the crossroads. And they do hold a special place in Appalachian folklore and Appalachian folk magic. And it's, it's literally where two roads intersect. So that might be a four-way stop. That might be um, a stoplight. If you have a four-way stoplight in your town, you're really killing it out in Appalachia. That's amazing. Um, but it's often where parts of a working – and again, when I say a working, I mean – a spell, a, a, a something you have made. Um, so a working to dispose of it at the crossroads. And it usually is in a, um, with a purpose to either confuse the spirit or entity that you're trying to get rid of. So it's often a, a disposal of, um, if not a directional thing, because sometimes it'll say like, put at the southernmost point of the crossroad or something like that. Um, and sometimes that is intentional based on what you're trying to do. Um, but also kind of mean spiritedly it is also to pass it on to the next person that picks it up. So I will highly suggest to you that if you are at a crossroad, particularly in Appalachia, and there was a very interesting shiny or, um, bag of something on the ground, mayhaps don't touch it. <laughs> Maybe just don't. Um, because often the purpose is the person is trying to get rid of something and transfer it to another person. And we'll talk later about some practices around this. Uh, but you don't want warts y'all. So just don't do that. I, that's really, uh, I'm glad that you brought that up and it, that this is clarifying. Cause I did always wonder like, what's, I get the idea of dropping something off at a frequently, um, traveled spot, which a crossroad clearly would be because, you know, it's two roads intersecting. Um, but the idea that you would be disposing of things, not just to pass it on to somebody else, but potentially confuse spirits that that makes mm -hmm. sense. Okay. Okay. I love that. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. And there's a lot of like um, pieces of that, depending on where you're from, where it's like, you're supposed to dispose of it and not look back. And the reason is to like, not make contact. Like you want if it's a spirit or entity that you're working with, you don't want them to follow you. You don't want them to know which direction you went in. So the likelihood that it will somehow make it back to you has at least been multiplied by four, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the the goal. What about in running in a Z pattern? Does that help too? Like alligators? I think that's only if you're trying to avoid a school shooter. I think that's the only... Okay. And alligators. <laughs> they tell you to do that too. If you're... Oh, yes. Because apparently they I didn't grow up turns. in Florida. So this is oh, what okay. we were literally told in Virginia. I, I don't know if you guys remember the DC sniper thing. Um, this is what we were literally told in Virginia because we were near-ish to DC. Um, we were told to run in a zigzag pattern. Oh my gosh. My parents were like, is this really the best advice? To yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this is the dystopian future of, of our dreams. Yeah. And then last thing is kind of around the term, which if you go to Appalachia and you stop at a convenience store and you say, Hey, I'm looking for a local witch or, um, someone who practices hoodoo, or I'm looking for someone who practices voodoo, that convenience store clerk is probably going to usher you out as quickly as possible. Um, and mayhaps call the police on you. 
because you seem like a crazy person. Um, we, that those terms just aren't often used there. Um, maybe regionally, like I've heard of like hill folks who do, um, but often those practitioners will actually not even call themselves that. Um, we will use a lot of other terms. I think often it is to kind of maybe intentionally palletize those terms to not create friction between Christian beliefs and kind of integrating those beliefs. But you will very rarely hear anyone call themselves directly a a witch. Now that is becoming more popular, I think, as witchcraft kind of becomes more mainstream. Um, But at least growing up, um, my grandmother never outwardly called herself a witch. That would be to bring kind of condemnation on the family and, or at least to bring superstition and, and kind of things you don't want associated with your family. Um, one of my aunts would never call herself a witch, but she still spits in her mop water. So like, what you doing? Right. What's going on there? Um, and then another one of my aunts, I would say only within the past maybe 10 years has started calling herself a witch. And again, not outwardly, not like, you know, proudly out on Facebook announcing she's a witch. It it's just she is known to do workings, right? Mm-hmm. We we talk very um kind of around the thing. Um and so if if we're talking about practitioners, you'll often find that they have um very different names kind of to obfuscate, I think, what they actually do. Yeah, I think I mean I don't, I'm not in a closet by any means, but I also don't even feel like, I I understand why people wouldn't feel completely comfortable referring to themselves in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we joke about even the title of our podcast being like two real witches. It's kind of like making fun of the fact that even real witches, like (laughs) it's a fallacy in and of itself that like, what the fuck is real anyways? Um, yeah, but it's really just for the algorithm um, because I feel like uh, which is such an umbrella term. It almost means nothing. It mean, if it means everything, so um, people being resistant to identifying in that way, like also people don't like if you don't live in the South, you don't understand how judged potentially you can be and how dangerous mm-hmm. that can be. I mean, Danny, we didn't bring it up when we t- in the Witcha up to um, updates about the snubbing about, about the event that you received about the event. Okay, you guys. So there we, (laughs) it was an indoor event at a hotel. We had like a ballroom space for the vendors. And then there were two really nice size breakout rooms. And beside one of the breakout rooms, the hotel thought it would be a good idea to rent out that space, or maybe they were first, or I don't know. But the fact of the matter is we ended up with a ministry of something, um, which was clearly Christian in nature. I'm not sure, you know, what exactly their belief is, but I'm fairly confident they were not living for our event based on how many nasty looks and literal scoffs I got by walking past people in the hallway. And it's like, I'm, I, I was not in a full pointy hat at that point. Uh, so, and I'm smiling, y'all. I'm like, I'm doing ministry for Caridwin and Hearn. I'm out here just, you know, like we're living our best <laughs> life and and they were not having it. Mm-mm. But no. all in all to say that like the word witch can be really dangerous even mm-hmm. in America and very much in the South. Um, so mm-hmm. I, no shame, no shame in, yeah. in, 
in not using that term and not claiming that term. Like if it makes it easier for people to hate on you and you don't feel comfortable doing that and you don't have the privilege of, you know, not worrying about what other people think because that's a privilege, then mm-hmm. like don't fucking 100%. use it. I, 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 that totally makes sense. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of those definitions. That that was certainly I got some good clarification there. Um, we're gonna get into some books. So you have a, a list of books here. Is it possible for you to give me like if I was to read one book that had a the best overview? Do any of them really fall into that category for you, or are they all kind of like speaking to their own strengths? Yeah, I don't, I could give you some highlights of each book um, and why mm-hmm. I kind of have listed it because these aren't all the books that I've read. These are just the ones that I've like picked up and been like, yep, this feels familiar or yeah, this makes, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I probably want to lead with, I think when you read a lot of the reviews on wherever you purchase your books online, um, about Appalachian folklore, and Appalachian folk magic books, they'll often be like, oh, I didn't really get like a list of recipes. I didn't really get like, I wanted, I wanted structure. I wanted spells. I wanted, but in order to understand this group of people, you really need to understand where they come from. So a lot of these books feel a lot like a history lesson. A lot of them are are explaining like where did these practices come from? Where did these people come from? Um, what's kind of the logistics behind um, why this is a thing? Because some of them do have very practical applications. And so a lot of these books are like that. So I can kind of skip ahead a little bit and say, if you're looking for something that gives you specifics, like tells you what to put in your tea, how to make a sachet, how to like all of those kind of things, I would point to Granny Buck's Dibs and Dabs, Appalachian Traditions and Magical Ways by Catherine Buck. Um, so again, Catherine Buck. Granny Buck, right? That's that granny magic thing people are looking for. Um, but it's it's all of that. So it really is just like a by concept. Here are a list of herbs. Here are a list of ways to use them. Um, they've got a really great section on like teas that I really like. Um, more importantly, because she doesn't refer to them as teas, she refers to them as gargles. And that's what I'm familiar with. I didn't drink a lot of tea coming up. We didn't, we didn't drink a lot of tea. I, I, we didn't have a tea kettle. What was that? Um, and so we, but I did do a lot of gargles. If you were sick, listen, we gargled everything, all the things. Um, I have never put so much salt in the back of my throat. Mm-hmm. The moment you were like, my throat hurts, you're gargling yep. some salt water. Uh, depending on what was wrong with you, you're doing a gargle. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the belief that the throat holds a lot of, insight into the health of a person. So if you think about your mouth, your dentist can tell a lot about what's going on with your heart from your mouth. And so there, I think there's this belief that like the mouth and the throat tell you a lot about the general health of a person in overall. Um, and so we did a lot of gargling. Um, I, w- I probably didn't get into teas until I was an adult. So okay, I didn't bucks, even, and dabs. Love that. I never even questioned gargles. I mean, like I totally, I still do that. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? That's is that thing. not medically proven? I don't know. I've never even thought of it. it. Is, so, so that's a lot of um, folk magic. Is that it's very practical in nature. It's not like we're just out here doing an abstract something. We're doing a logistical, mundane thing to achieve a goal. And so we're gargling. 
because that helps clear infection out of the throat, right? But also let's throw some herbs in there that are known to help with whatever ailment that you have, maybe from a medicinal purpose, but also maybe from kind of a word of mouth purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, this root or whatever grows close to the ground. And so therefore, if you're having problems with your feet, this root's really great for that. So we're going to have you gargle with that. Okay. Like stuff like that. I never, I never had a gargle with anything other than salt, hot water. Mm -hmm. But I honestly don't even know if that actually, I mean, I think it does something because the amount of salinity would kill some amount of bacteria, but it certainly isn't going to have a viral impact. And sorry, I I could go on my biological. No, I'm with you. Yeah. We, we salted everything. Yeah. All of that. I I never even questioned it. it. I don't know. I I still ended up with antibiotics sometimes, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, cool. I love that. Yeah. And then um, if you're looking for something more along the lines of conjure, so maybe you're more in tune um, with hoodoo practices. A lot of those hoodoo practices came from kind of the the forming together of a lot of these um, African people, enslaved people's voodoo practices kind of converging with Christianity and those and creating this kind of um, hoodoo practice that is both working with roots and and working with branches and all of those things, but then also combining kind of the Christian, um, I'm going to not super lightly use the word manipulation of people and kind of conversion to Christianity and trying to find a way to marry those things in a way that was um, at least publicly, societally not against the grain. Um, and so we'll talk more about kind of using the Bible as a spell book, but um, that is also a really good book. So I would say that one is Doctoring the Devil. We've talked about this book before, uh, Notebooks of an Appalachian Conjure Man by Jake Richards. He also makes another book called called Backwoods Witchcraft, Conjure and Folk Magic from Appalachia. Um, I enjoyed, for me, I enjoyed that book more than Doctoring the Devil um, because it talked a lot about like Appalachia in general and like it approached it from the way I think a lot of witchcraft books approach magic. Like here are your tools, here are your basics. And then he went into that with very much a like, yeah, we don't use any real tools. They're all mundane things. Uh, Yeah. There's no basic spells. Here's some shit I know. Um, And I just appreciated that. I appreciated kind of turning that concept upside down on its head, Um, whether that was intentional or not. I don't know, but it was great. Um, And then there's a book I stuck in here that some people who have read it will probably be like, that's not an Appalachian folk magic book. Um, but when I read it, I immediately, I knew where some of those practices were from. I've done those practices. Um, and so there is a book called By Rust of Nail and Prick of Thorn, The Theory and Practice of Effective Home Warding by Althea Sebastiani. So it's not explicitly about Appalachian practice, but almost everything in there is about creating your home as a sanctuary, essentially, and and controlling the energy that you let in your house by also essentially putting of yourself and of your intention into your house. So there were some definitely some new concepts in there, um, most notably like creating sigils to put on tape on the upside of your fans so that people can't see them. But as it spins, depending on which way your fans spin, and you can actually reset which way your fans spin. Um, but depending on which way your fans spin, either encouraging 
good luck and fortune into the house or the other way. So that one was new for me. But there was a lot about mop water. There was a whole section about mop water. And she (laughs) talked about putting herbs and stuff in there. But then she also touched on like that some people have to practice with putting their own urine in there. Um, That goes just a lick farther than I'm familiar with. Um, Nobody was peeing our mop water, but we were spitting in it. Absolutely. Okay, but maybe Um, like just a drop of pee. Maybe not like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like not a full bladder. No, no, no. No, that would be converse to what you're trying to do, I think. Okay, I want to borrow this book, Danny. This is so interesting. Rest of Nail, Prick of Thorn. Oh, it's so good. It's such a great home warding book. And she also talks through things like I never thought of, like um, in your vents, obviously not anything that would get like sucked into your thing, but just like the proper cleaning of those vents and how to not clean them would be like in and of itself to not cleanse your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And right, how, how you build up spiritual dirt in the same way that you build up physical dirt. Like it just, it was a very cool book and I I appreciated kind of their approach to it, but so much of it was so familiar. The next book we've got is Appalachian Folklore, Omens, Signs, and Superstitions by Nancy Richmond and Misty Murray Walkup. So I like this book because it's not actually about magic. It's about the folklore. So it's a lot about, um, how have things kind of come to be over time? It gives you a lot of superstitions. So you'll often heard magic or like magical practices called superstitions. Um, but like if you're doing a thing because of a superstition, that's magic, homie. Uh, but we don't, we don't like to say that. Uh, so then we also have roots, branches and spirits, the folkways and witchery of Appalachia by H. Brian Ballard, who also writes another really good book called Stobbs and Ditchwater, a friendly and useful introduction to hill folks hoodoo. Um, again, also by H. Uh, Brian Ballard. So Ballard. So if you are interested in hoodoo, and again, um, what I really appreciate about um, H. Byron Ballard is that they just say right off the bat, they're like, hey, we call it hill folks hoodoo. I know not everybody does. I know not everybody who lives here even calls it that, but um, here's some stuff that we're doing. Um, so that's a really cool uh, book as well. But those two have a lot of um, practical applications. So they'll they'll tell you how to do the thing. Um, they'll they'll give you a theory, give you the concept, make sure you understand like the concept behind what you're doing and that history that's behind it. And then they'll they'll tell you how to do the thing. Again, only with so much detail as those practices kind of vary region to region. But um, Really appreciate those books as well. Really kind of changed some of my concepts of protection and protection from what, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit. And then I think those are all of my favorites. There are tons of books out there. Uh, Do you know what favorite means? (laughs) You're like, here's my 20 top books. (laughs) They're my all best friends. All all of them are best, best friends. That was great. That was really I, – I can see now, though, why you couldn't just point to one or two books because they're all so different in how they approach the topic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really just like a what I found to be best. I think some of the books that I've picked up and maybe haven't really connected with was mostly because those are not practices I'm familiar with. So if you're from somewhere else, this is not to say these are the end-all, be-all books. Pick up all the books. Read all the books. There's lots out there. Um, just not all of them had practices that were super familiar to me. Right, which is kind of part of the idea of learning net new. So that's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we're going to transition, still kind of staying within this air realm of just information and kind of the 
logical consideration of it. Mm. Um, I think you, you wanted to transition into potentially like what is the motivation? Why do people practice folk magic? Um, so take us through through some of your thoughts there. Yeah. So when we talk about folk magic, these things didn't arise because people wanted to join a magic tradition. Um, these things arose because the people needed things, right? It, it wasn't to achieve just their wants. It was because these people had really practical needs, some of them base level needs um, that needed to be met. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, control and those things. But for a group of people that by and large were not of a lot of means. Um, some of the best ways of getting what they want is from now what we would call manifesting or really putting their spiritual intention into something they didn't really have a lot of mundane control over. So um, one of the first things up is safety. So having kind of keen attention paid to patterns and omens, often again called superstitions, um, really saved many a life and kept a lot of bellies full. So if you knew what you were looking for, if you had seen that in times past, this had turned out this way, if you were better able to recognize those patterns, they probably kept you more safe. Um, they probably made sure that you got food on your table. They probably made sure that you didn't fall into any accidents or been too far away from home when that next storm hit or got all the animals or livestock put away before some natural disaster hit if you knew what you were looking for before it showed up. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the one that clearly comes to my mind is like, don't walk under a ladder because it's bad luck. <laughs> it's like, like that's just bad, good sense. Yeah, that just right. That's just called safety. But sure, yeah, bad luck, bad luck too. Yeah, and every yeah. time I walk under a really wobbly ladder with somebody on it who's not being supported, I get dead. Uh, that's so superstitious. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, same thing, I think the black cats thing. Um, one, you know, black cats get a bad name and all that stuff. But if you're out in the woods and you just see a random cat, probably flea ridden, probably ill, mm. uh, you don't want to take that stuff home, right? So it was kind of just good practice to stay away from unfamiliar animals. Uh, yeah, that is, that is not my life. I'm like, unfamiliar <laughs> animals, let's go. Also, black cats, if you wear a lot of black, you should get a black cat because white cats and black clothes, nightmare. Actual nightmare. Yeah. But I will say I have gotten scabies from a <laughs> from a stray cat. Maybe that if was just only, bad luck. If only you had listened to Appalachian Folk Magic <laughs> when it said, stop messing with unknown animals. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Mess. Um, and then the next one's protection, right? So kind of in that same vein of safety, but because of lack of resources really in these rural areas, when you think about these areas, these weren't like heavily populated areas. Many of the families were spread out by miles, if not way more than that. And so in a rural area, it really means most people are one accident or illness away from death and or devastation. Because again, if you die and you're the primary breadwinner, well, your family's just been left destitute. Um, or if you die and your family now has to give all of their life savings to bury you, that's a really terrible thing for your family. Um, not so different than this dystopian life that we're living right now. However, um, it really meant that like people needed to find a way to protect themselves, maybe also just from an anxiety-ridden place um, to make sure that nothing horrible happened to them because if something horrible happened to them for many people, even the luckiest people, 
that would ruin their lives. Mm. So no, that's that that makes a lot of sense. Just it's like almost therapeutic to be optimistic. And the only way you can be optimistic is by doing some kind of working. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that totally resonates with me. <laughs> Yeah, feeling like you have control over something, even if you don't, right? You can at least say, well, I did everything that I could to prevent this thing from happening, right? Um, And then when we talk about protection, like uh, from what, right? So from the known, so we're talking illness, natural disaster. If you're running a farm, you need to be prepared for those kind of things and feel like you've kind of done everything both mundanely and from a practitioner standpoint to protect your assets, um, injury, and then lack or loss of opportunity. So uh, if someone's looking for a job or if there is a job, but a hundred people have applied to it and they're only taking two people, you, you want to make sure that like you've kind of set yourself up for success there. But we also have from the unknown. So this would be from your jinxes, your hexes. Again, Nobody likes to use the word witchcraft there, but they're very familiar with bane forms of magic. So protection from jinxes, hexes, um, haints, which is really just a play on the word haunt. Um, It really means any spirit that would potentially uh, not necessarily try to harm you, but probably, but also like just try to hang out with you. So this could be anything from like fairies to ghosts to negative spirits to anything. So when we say haint, we just literally means anything that can haunt I've, you. I've never heard that term. Yeah? I have not. You're Welcome saying haint. Alright, you got to spell haint. it. H-A-I-N-T. Ha- I hate never so- heard that. I- <laughs> <laughs> um, That's not new. Okay, wait. So that's like a ghost? Yeah, or anything that would do a haunting of Mm, some kind, right? right? right. So we could be talking about spirits. We could be talking about – I've seen like fairies included in this category. Something that is unseen or unknowable, but that could like potentially cause you harm. Um, And that includes maybe another one you're not familiar with, plat eyes. You're like, huh, what? Bless you. Um, (laughs) Excuse you. What are you saying? Plat eyes, P-L-A-T, uh, usually like a hyphen, eyes. Okay. Um, and that one, it specifically comes from African culture, but it's it. this is a more tangible mythical creature. So this is typically a monster or a visible ghost of some form. Um, again, the term comes from like sunken eyes. Mm-hmm. So something that is... It's kind of really scary to look at, but but you have to be able to see it, right, to know that it's scary. So um, something with sunken eyes, um, this would potentially be like if you look into a bush in the night and you see like scary eyes, that'd be a plat eye. And then um, then things we're more familiar with, right? The devil, Satan, evil in general, um, creatures of the woods. We'll talk a little bit about how to protect yourself from the the creatures of the woods. And I don't mean the deer and the bear. I mean, like <laughs> the things that are coming to get you for, for real from the spiritual well, realm. Nowadays, that includes ticks, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Those those Uh, things are awful. You just have to – if you live in the South, there's just a really lot better chance that Lyme's disease uh, is just hanging out. There's a new disease that's caused by ticks ticks? now. Yeah, I'm going to Google it while you keep talking. I cannot. To give Um, you a new thing to fear. 
really. Great. I love that. Well, then let's talk about the unknown, but the good things that we want to uh, protect us. And that would be kind of wanting favor from the unknown. So this would be your land spirits, right? Wanting them to be on your side, working with you, particularly if you're doing something agricultural, you want those land spirits to like provide you favor and help you prosper. Um, the Holy Ghost, right? All the Christians want the Holy Ghost on their side because if if it's not on your side, then the devil's on your side and you lost. You lost that battle. So I uh, don't want that. And then your ancestors, right? So they are also the intangible. So wanting those to be on your side, um, to, to have their favor, um, which kind of by familial relations. That's, that's just kind of expected, but there's always things you can do, you know, to butter up your ancestors, you know, we, we, please refer back to our podcast on an ancestral veneration. All right. And then I'm going to jump into health, which will be the perfect time for you to come back with your tick information. Um, <laughs> when we talk about health, we're talking about little access to mundane medical practice. Um, and because of that kind of plant magic and, and medicinal magic really came to the forefront because a lot of these people had that one, there's an abundance of plant life. I don't know the numbers. I just know there is a wild amount of plant life that exists in Appalachia from like top to bottom. And so um, there's a ton of stuff out there, but on top of that, there's all these people who have all of this uh, really arcane knowledge about these plants. They know how to use every little bit of it. They know what it's good for. They know what it's worked for. They know what it doesn't work for. And so that really led to a lot of people kind of rejecting um, maybe modern Western medicine in those areas. One, because they didn't have access to it. Two, because they didn't have the money to afford it. But three, because there's a guy down the street who can make a gargle that works just as well um, as any antibiotic. I don't want to take those pills. I don't even know what's in those pills. That's just, you know, the pharmaceutical version of these street drugs that are out here, right? Um, very, very familiar conversation I think I've had with several people who live out there when I'm just like, no, but please take your antibiotics. They, they really are the best way uh, for you to not actually um, end up with scarlet fever. So please take your antibiotics. Mm. Um, and then we get into kind of the use of food as medicine. So feeding, um, the body in, in a way that would, um, maybe create prosperity, but for the most part, keep people healthy and well, right there because of what was grown there, depending on where you're from, you maybe had some nutritional deficiencies. Uh, you maybe didn't have access to the best foods. Um, and so using food with intent, for the body to keep it well um, was definitely kind of a main focus of, of food, not just as physical sustenance, but as spiritual sustenance as well. And then we get into midwives. Um, one of my favorite topics of witchcraft, um, because it 100% was uh, midwifery, especially in the times before um, modern medicine kind of became available to many rural places in Appalachia. Those those people were witches. They were witches. And the public absolutely didn't want to call them witches. So we called them midwives. Wife, witch, I'm just saying, very similar etymology. <laughs> um and and mid as in they are communing between the place before and after birth. Right. Mm. So they are bringing lives across that precipice into physical existence. Um and so they were often seen as kind of, again, this granny magic is 
kind of having this knowing and and being able to tell from the way that a, a person was laboring, being able to tell like what was going on and what needed to happen and whether things were going well or not. Because when you, I mean, it's not like there were a whole bunch of men lining up to be midwives, right? Uh, many of them were in the living room, like smoking some cigarettes, cracking jokes with their friends while their wives were often dying in their literal bedroom, um, like literally dying of hemorrhages. Um, and so midwives were and are still in many places practitioners of magic. Um, and, and they are are using forms of meditation. If you think about breath work and stuff that we've talked about before with meditation, they were really using these practices to help aid people through labor to help ensure the next generation survived. Um, so just saying midwives really amazing really amazing stuff have i looked into becoming a midwife absolutely I, yes i was like ooh i think i hear a new career um except that in this wonderful uh healthcare system that we have here i would probably yeah. immediately be sued and um destitute because um yeah it it is now seen as uh, unsafe to labor at home which in many cases i agree um for the average person, I think it's a great, wonderful thing to do it at home. Um, but I think midwives carry a lot of responsibility and liability in today's mm-hmm. healthcare world that I I don't know about that. I don't, yeah. know. I don't know if I take yeah. that on. Big props, big respects to our midwives and doulas out there. Um, but yeah. that's that's a little outside of my scope of practice, I think. Yeah, I'm like, I can go on a tangent there about the safety of birth in hospitals. Um <laughs> Truly, truly, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, just breaking that up. Fun fact: uh, we got the babiosis. That's the new that, tick disease. What happens? The CDC. Uh, okay, so March 2023 CDC report shows that babiosis uh, now has a foothold in ten states, but this is in the Northeast and Midwest, so that would fall into the Appalachian area. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fatal, you know, moment that's happening, oh. uh, response. I don't know too much about it, but, um, definitely, you know, if, if you're, if you have the constitution to <laughs> learn about yet another disease, uh, but yeah, ticks, uh, let's do some spells against them because that's terrifying. Yeah. I, I listen, I know that there's this belief that everything has its place in the ecosystem, why with the mosquitoes and the ticks? I don't – what are they doing for the world that is beneficial? Well, I could tell you about, you know, the biggest threat to humanity, which is humans, and they're trying to regulate the human population. Yeah. But that's a whole nother tangent. <laughs> um yeah. yeah, we probably are worse for the world than mosquitoes and uh-huh. ticks. But for me personally, I'm like, where do they fit in the ecosystem that they are so important? Because it kind of yeah. seems like there's too many of them and that they are causing havoc. No, <laughs> I, I literally think that they're the response to our treatment of <laughs> our resources. So that's how they fit in. They're really the warriors in this and probably the, the, the superheroes in this whole narrative of human existence. Uh, next topic, Danny. <laughs> next topic. <laughs> I'm feeling so, very dark today. I'm loving this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you stop over there with your Scorpio energy. Cut it out. Um, so then we want to get into kind of money and opportunity. So if, again, I, I have this belief 
go with go with me on a on a journey real quick, right? Through kind of money and opportunity in Appalachia. So a lot of these people moved into the mountains because land was super cheap up there, right? It's rocky soil, it's often hard to farm. It was super cheap. And so a lot of people immigrated to these areas and or were enslaved and forced to come to these areas um, and then ended up in the mountains because it's the only place they could afford land. Um, some people end up in the mountains because they were trying to avoid the law, uh, getting in jail for their debts, whatever. Um, so there are a lot of people up there who, and when I say a lot, were really spread out and far apart. And because of that, it wasn't like there was um, – really a capitalistic economy up there. A lot of people were very much hand to mouth, uh, just trying to get by. And a lot of people were operating uh, in, in a form of a gift economy. So, Hey, if you will, will pull this tooth for me, then I'll give you X amount of food. Right. And that's kind of how things were operating up there. Still transactional, but sometimes in kind of a gift economy where you helped your neighbor out because you had a surplus and they didn't have any and you made it work. Um, so we had this lack of jobs and opportunity, and then in comes coal mining. And as a coal miner's granddaughter, it absolutely probably led to me being here because those opportunities were there to supply a life for five children. And in the same way, it has absolutely devastated the people and the natural resources there. So we went from no jobs and opportunity to a burst of jobs and opportunity where everybody's working in the coal mines, everybody who's anybody's working in the coal mines, and they're good jobs. Still to this day, they're good jobs. You make really good money. You maybe don't see your family as often as you'd like to, but you make good money. Um, or you might sun. have some lung cancer <laughs> later. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh and, and still, I mean, I still know people who live up there who are coal miners and they're not wearing their masks. They're coming home and their faces are fully black. And I'm like, that's what your lungs look like. You know I, what I mean? It's awful. But I really appreciate when you said the coal mines, my mind instantly went dun, dun, dun. But then you were like, it's the reason I'm here. And I was like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Right. Everything has its shadow and its light side. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. That, and it's why we, when we're having these discussions about coal mining and the devastation it really has created in Appalachia. And I can really only speak for the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, it's so easy to say, well, well, they shouldn't have done that. Well, what else were they were supposed to do? What They had resources and these resources were able to keep their families from dying. So what? that's the logistical path of least resistance, right? Is it right or wrong? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, what do we do about it now? Um, but I, it created money and opportunity, but also devastated the land. So now we're coming back into the, the birth, death, rebirth cycle where we're getting back to where there is a lack of opportunity because we're not hiring as many coal miners. That that has slowed down. It still exists. There's still plenty of people who are coal mining families and all of that up there, but it, it has really reached this slowdown. So now there's this loss of jobs and opportunity. And what has swooped in to replace it is the opioid crisis. Um, whether you are a dealer, a seller, a doctor with a script pad, <sighs> um, filling that Jeez. out. Um, and and now, now there's this resurgence of, well, people need to make ends meet. If they can sell some of their totally. prescription pills to do that, totally, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, sure. um, it it Legitimate. is what it is. Yeah, and so um, 
And in the same way that I feel like nature is neither right or wrong, it also has no sense of judgment in a lot of ways um, in that things are going to be hunted, things are going to be preyed upon, lives are going to start and lives are going to end. Mm-hmm. And and in the same way, Appalachia has experienced that in, in opportunities. Um, and so when we talk about magic in this area, a lot of it is accepting the good with the bad, right? So I'm willing to do this working to get this job that I know will probably kill me in the long run, but it will keep my family and others safe and give them security. And and a lot of the magic there, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is is about sacrifice and is about the the mundane practical part of of giving it your all. Um, We'll talk a little bit about bootstrap theory because that's that's the thing. That's the theory. Um, that's where it comes from. And so um, when we talk about money and opportunity, a lot of the workings for this are to stay alive, like literally to stay alive. Um, again, it's, it's not about your your morality of it. it. It's just to make those ends meet. Danny, we're going into a sociological exploration of class and uh, through the lens of magic. I am here for this. Okay. Appalachia is really like a microcosm of society as a greater whole. And I think if we wanted to explore the, the, again, this is just me nerding out for a second, but if we (laughs) wanted to explore America's fetishizing of capitalism, Appalachia is the exact place to mark that because it is literally Appalachia's downfall, but we can't stop buying into it because to stop buying into it means to kill ourselves. Uh, And it's, it is it is the perfect mi- microcosm of what is happening in America, in my yeah. opinion. Super interesting. Um, so then we move towards control. Ooh, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers with this one, but y'all stick with me, okay? I, I promise I have some good points to make here. So when I say control, I literally mean that. I mean that from a societal, individualist perspective. So control within our lives um, – this has kind of changed as time has gone on, but your home and your hearth was a sacred place. It was the place that you created. It was a place of all of your possessions in the world. Um, nobody had summer homes. So it's not like you had important things stored elsewhere. You had storage spaces. Like it was your life was at home. Everything that you had both physically, tangibly acquired and everything that meant something to you was in your home. And so it was very much a sacred place and is still a sacred place for people. Um, if you have noticed the obsession with, um, what is that Target brand of home decor and oh. everyone's obsession? You know, I'm talking about it, Joanna Gaines. Oh, oh, yeah, Magnolia, something like that. And the way like Southerners snatch yeah. that ish up, it's yeah. because this idea of of creating a space that is both beautiful but yet practical. Um, still within me, still very much part of my design style. Um, is so important. It, it mm-hmm. is creating your own sanctuary. Um, and so these people also had so little mundane control over their lives in general and what uh, jobs they had available to them, what kind of health concerns were kind of going around, access again to all these resources. And so again, if you could do something to increase your odds of success, you would. 
right? That So it was creating control, probably lessening of just general anxiety that when something didn't work out, you could confidently say, I did everything that I could, right? Um, and if you hadn't, then you say, shit, I should have done that working. Damn it. I knew I should have done that. Um, and then, listen, follow me, y'all, within society, right? So when you think about Appalachia and that these people were very spread out, both culturally and um, geographically, really, from each other, there needs to be something that unites these people towards a common goal. Um, and Christianity decided that, listen, we're not going to talk about witchcraft, but we're definitely going to put our influence into it and tell people, create superstitions that will force the kind of behavior we're looking for. And so we'll have some examples of this later, but it was really creating standards of resolutions of concerns. So we don't like to involve the law, y'all. If we can avoid it, uh, we do. And people get their uh, just desserts, um, just deserves is where that comes from. They don't like to involve the law because often the government has shown, again, a microcosm of American society, that they do not serve justice in the way that most people in Appalachia believe justice should be served. I see. And so the people would take justice in their own hands in the form of witchcraft, but again, in the form of um, mundane sacrifice um, to create the world that they needed to live in and be safe in. And then there's also assurance of the perpetuation of Christianity. So we'll talk about some practices, but if people are being born and you need people to come into the church, you need people to keep coming into the church, there are superstitions that would help that kind of happen and keep moving along. There's also, you know, the insurance of power balances or imbalances and making sure they are maintained, um, the maintenance of gender norms, um, protection of the nuclear family, again, kind of all falling under these Christian values thing. And we'll talk about some of those later. And I think if, if I said that to somebody from Appalachia who is Christian, they'd be like, they're not doing that. No, they're not. Uh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Um, I need you to follow me here. But yes, you did. Uh, and I'm going to highlight it for you so that you can maybe see it a little more clearly. All right. And then let's jump into actions. Ma'am, this is already an hour and 30 minutes. Um, Whatever. I listened to Chris <laughs> Brennan's, um, you know, podcast and he had a four and a half hour long podcast. So you do you player like okay you know all right yeah i hope i hope you guys are loving this and getting something out of it and it's not how just do me talking i possibly to the other. you know how uh, in the future right i'm supposed to cover astrology what do you think that's mm-hmm. gonna be like a hot you're gonna have to split that minute? up you think yeah, you're gonna have to you have to split that up i think that's okay should we split this up i don't know hmm. nah <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> so getting into actions. So when we talk about the act of witchcraft, there is absolutely this belief that mundane work created value and that heightened the effectiveness of the working. So we often say, right, you have to put the practical work into the spell work, right? If you're like, oh, I want a job, but you're not applying to any jobs, you're not going to get a damn job, right? So you have to put the mundane work into it. And that is very true in Appalachia. There is this bootstrap theory, right? That, well, if you do the work, the good things will come. And I feel like it's a very circular argument that 
Yeah. A lot of times when you do the work, it is more likely that the thing will happen for you. Sure. But some people can't do the work because of disability or whatever. And those people are just damned to no opportunity. Like that doesn't, you know, it, it, it's a very circular argument to say everyone is able to do the work and therefore they should. And if you do, then look at all these great things that happen. Great. But we're forgetting like the initial component of like, what if you can't do the work? Right. But within witchcraft, it's kind of that same thing. If you if you want something to work, you're going to have to put in the work to make it happen. And so a good example of this was um, when my mom was in her teens. Um, and I know this because uh, very specifically of what happened, their house burned down, like to the ground, burned down. And my grandfather rebuilt the house himself built the whole damn thing. Um, and this happened when my mom was going to soon be graduating. Her graduation robes were in the house and he went back in to save her graduation robes because he didn't want her to like not have what she needed for graduation. Um, and so then he rebuilt that, that house um, because of the belief that if he built it and then my grandmother put her stuff into it to keep it safe, that it would not burn down again right? Mm -hmm. Nothing bad would happen to this place again if we build it and make it ourselves. Um, And so that kind of falls in line with, you know, what we're doing. So next I'm going to kind of keep that same format of like why we do the witchcraft. So safety and protection and money and opportunity, and just kind of talk through some things, some practices, a little, a little bit, just a a surface glimpse of the things that I'm familiar with um, that I want to pass to you guys. So when we talk about safety We're talking about those patterns, right? Those patterns of things that we see. So we're talking about weather. So noticing the patterns and weather and when it's good to plant and all of those things. Um, One of those is rain on your wedding day is a good sign. And it rained on my wedding day. It has rained on every important day of my life. Water is very important to me. Um, It rained at my first outdoor circle. Uh, It that has always been (gasps) a sign. Uh, Oh, that gave me chills. Okay, Mm -hmm. it rained on my wedding day. It rained on my graduation day. Our graduation had to be then moved indoors because. It had rained. Um, it rained um, on some of the experiences you and I have had um, with our outer court, and those were all great experiences. So that's kind of been just a constant theme in my life: is that rain is a good thing, um, and and this is where it holds true for me: is that rain on your wedding day is a good sign for the marriage. Um, animal behavior. So if a crow flies, um, depending on which direction it's flying, it can kind of define whether your answer is in the past or in the future, in the present. So um, let's say you're walking down the street and the crow flies behind you, meaning it's coming from in front of you to behind you. It can mean that the answer is is actually in your past. So whatever you're working through, whatever your problem you're dealing with, the answer is actually in your past and you need to, to go back to that or draw from that. The crow flies in front of you from the back of your head to your front of your head that your answer is actually in the future. So maybe don't dwell on it right now because you just don't have the answer right now, mm. but just know that it's coming. And then, and, and this is those two things were verified for me in the Stobbs and Ditchwater book. Um, but additionally for me, so this isn't just a forward and back thing. This is also a present thing that I'm aware of is, um, if a crow flies to your left, so your left hand side, um, it means that you are going to receive the answer in your receiving receptive hand. You're going to receive the answer soon. So in this mm. present, 
Um, and then if it flies to your right hand side, that it means that you already have the answer. You just need to apply it. So sometimes this can be like saying, bitch, do the thing. <laughs> you know what the fuck you need to do. Just fucking do it. You're, you're waiting for a sign or answer. Just do the damn thing. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Walking mm-hmm. this morning, my dog, walking my dog. Uh, crow electrocuted on the ground from the power lines. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it means something's wrong with your crow. I feel like uh, they're attuned to that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no. Uh, I was very like, oh, where is my, why don't I have my pocket knife on me? I want to take this foot. Um, oh my I want gosh. To take the head. <laughs> it probably would not. Well, I guess the bones would be good, but I was going to say yeah, if yeah. it got electrified, it's probably like smoldering or like yeah. destroyed. I mean, I didn't see it get electrocuted. It was just on the right. ground electrocuted. Oh, and actually, it. in this area, I've seen this happen a, a number of times. Um, yeah, I love that. So you actually use that that crow divination, mm-hmm. aviation yeah. divination. Yeah. I love that aviation divination. I think it's, <laughs> if it's not called that, it should be. Uh, <laughs> and then when we get into people behavior, so if someone, for instance, makes a toast at a at a wedding at an event, and then You've also heard of people like clinking the glass. If you break the glass while clinking, you should not give the toast. You have given up your right to give toast. You're not allowed to give the toast now. Put it down. Stop it. But if you've made the toast and then you go to toast people and you break your glass or shatter your glass, whatever you have toasted to is now reversed. So if you are toasting to the good health and wealth of this couple, you've just ruined their wedding. Um Thank you so much for attending. You're such a great guest. I'm so glad we paid for your plate. Um, okay, yeah. so no glass at the wedding heard. All plastic I, cups. Truly, it like it, I it, I feel like very anxious when someone clinks a glass with a knife because I'm just like, okay, just maybe don't. What if you just didn't? <laughs> um, and then there's some that I'm sure people are familiar with. So like your ears tingling, um, sometimes ringing, although ringing has a different connotation for me, but ears tingling means that somebody's talking about you, right? Um, but you take that a step further, left ear, if you're, if your tingling is only in your left ear, it means that someone's gossiping about you. Mm. Um, but if it's in your right ear, it means that people are saying good things about you. So hopefully only right ear tingling. I definitely, yeah, I definitely grew up with the tingling ear um, one, I hadn't heard the left and right thing. I, I'm not reading it forward in your notes. Did you have the itchy hand? I didn't put it in here, but yeah, left, left hand is receiving money. Right hand is you about to lose a whole bunch of money, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it doesn't apply to your feet because maybe it just means you have athlete's foot. Uh, it's not, they're actually going anywhere. There are things in the book about itchy feet. Um, and I'm like, yeah, uh, that's just hygiene. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, there's something I read something about um, putting like a, a short nail into someone's heel to see something. And I was like, that's just tetanus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, don't get locked up by using this technique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then there's if a baby gets teeth too early, um, it's a sign that the mother will soon become pregnant again, Right. And think about it. Like the baby has teeth and the mom's like, you're not biting my nipples off. Absolutely no. Uh, So she's probably going to stop nursing that baby. So this is one of those practical ones where I'm like, she's probably going to stop nursing her baby. Her baby's no longer a baby anymore. You you miss having a little baby to care for in the house or probably toddlering. And so now you're going to have another baby soon. 
I wonder if there's something physiologically, like if you're not nursing, then you start ovulation. I think I've heard of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how the women's body works. Apparently I, (laughs) I don't know this vessel I'm I'm occupying. Who knows? (laughs) And then we have the seasons, right? So making sure that you can kind of gauge the seasons. Uh, Farmer farmer's almanac is really famous for being used, not just for planting and plotting and all of those things, but um, also from a witchcraft perspective, knowing how the seasons were going to change or kind of anticipating how the seasons were going to change um, could really define when you do workings, right? So if you're like, I'm going to sow when it says here in the farmer's almanac that March is a good time to sow, um, then that's also when I'm going to do these workings for prosperity and, and, and for growth and for new beginnings and those kind of things. Then if we jump into protection, so sewing red string into clothing to prevent any evil or misfortune from crossing that person's path. So we talked in a previous episode um, about the versions of this I'm familiar with. So um, putting your initials or your name in red thread, um, followed up by my mom's method of just using a red Sharpie because who has time for modern sewing? Love that. Love that. So practical. Yes. That's a great adaptation. Love it. (laughs) And then that coal miners should not return to the mine until a deceased miner is laid to rest rest, or they risk the same fate. So um, especially if they died in a coal mining accident, mm-hmm. no one was to return to the mine until that person was laid to rest. I, um, I and that's just safety. That's That makes sense. Yeah. I feel yeah. Like. Um, but often what came from this, right? Because from a capitalist perspective, if you own the coal mine, you're like, these people need to get back to work. Often – the coal mine would pay for the person's funeral because we want to get everybody back to work as quickly as possible, right? So when we talk about control and manipulation, yeah, that's what I'm talking They're about. Like, Sorry, right? we're superstitious. Everybody's actually not striking right now. They're just being superstitious. So until you pay, oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, mirrors being covered after the death of a person um, to not – I. I misspelled that, but to alarm or confuse the leaving spirit. Um, I've talked about with you guys that like mirrors had a different uh, connotation in my house. Mirrors were generally avoided at all times um, for the potential of being kind of portals of the soul, but also portals for, for spirit visitation. But this is that same concept so that as the spirit is leaving the body, we don't want it to see itself in a mirror. And become alarmed. Maybe they don't realize that they're dead or confused and try to go towards the mirror in, in their leave. Um, so we cover those mirrors so that they can easily find their way in and out. Um, it's very similar with some of the constructs of like leaving the back and the front door open during these times mm-hmm. to allow the spirit to leave. Also, again, practical magic. If there's a dead person in there and we're not embalming <laughs> them, they're going to start to smell. So you better open some windows and open the doors. Um, and this has kind of gone a little bit by the wayside now that Families often depend on like funeral homes and things like that um, to come get their loved ones to prepare them for burial, Um, where before you used to do those practices in home. You would would start the process of bathing, of cleaning, of, of dressing, of caring for that person. And if you didn't live near a cemetery, you buried them on the land itself. So um, families often took over those burial rites. And so there are a lot of um, different superstitions, different workings and practices that are having to do with kind of taking care of your dead. 
Um, this one is my favorite one because it is absolutely true. And I feel like it kind of made a resurgence online recently. Um, and I didn't realize how many people thought that this was a bizarre concept. I've always lived by these concepts in the woods. I don't know why everyone does. Um, but if you hear your name in the woods, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> don't follow your name in the woods. Who is calling your name in the woods? Who knows your name and is calling it in the woods? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And you keep walking. You don't, you don't even turn or make recognition to where you thought you heard your name. You just keep going. So don't do that. <laughs> you know, there would have been far less fatalities in horror movies had they just had that bit of knowledge. Right? What? I thought that was just common knowledge. People were like, yeah, if you hear your names in the woods, if you're hearing your name in the woods, no, it's a no. You need to leave immediately. Um, same thing. If you hear something particularly behind you that does not sound like an animal, you don't acknowledge it. You don't make eye contact with it. You don't check mm -hmm. to see what it is. <laughs> you just keep going. You be undisturbed as possible. You are that. not scared. We don't even start running. <laughs> you just continue on your path as though there's actually not a hank behind you. No, there's not. You're just going to walk your happy ass out of the woods. <laughs> there's never been an alien abduction in Appalachia because they just won't acknowledge it. <laughs> they never exactly. slow down to look. <laughs> this is why only the cows are being abducted is because they're dumb. <laughs> cows are unbelievably dumb in my opinion um other people tell you they're so bright and brilliant they pick their nose with their tongues like i, <laughs> <laughs> I y'all there's a reason you have to herd uh, cows and it's because mm -hmm. they're not very smart they're not that smart <laughs> um and that's why they aliens keep taking them i don't know what to tell you <laughs> um and then some of you might be familiar with uh bottle trees um I've known them called haint bottles. Um, so those blue cobalt bottles that are like upside down on like a wire, usually wire like tree thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, its purpose is to catch the haints, right? Oh. So as the wind blows, again, these are spirits, right? They're kind of like moving through the air um, or fairies. They love that blue. That's a very alluring color, See, right? See, that's why I don't like blue. See, I knew it. You're like, I'm not a haint. So there's yeah. that. Um, but yeah, the idea is that it captures those spirits and because the bottles are kind of turned down that they can't get their way back out. Um, so those are kind of all along the lines of protection, protection from the seen and the unseen. I hope that that has helped you guys navigate the woods a lot better because some of y'all <laughs> be showing up missing okay. and off the wait, path. Wait, so let, me, let me, let me go through some of my, the ones I'm taking away. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't take any stray animals cause then you'll get scabies. Um, don't listen if if your name is called. Keep walking. If you, something is doesn't sound like an animal, but doesn't sound like something you know, keep walking. Um, there's a lot of just keep walking. Mm -hmm. If you go to a crossroad, just keep walking. We are a big <laughs> fan of, of of fans of the Mind Your Fucking Business Club. Um, <laughs> huge fans, huge fans. So then we get into health. Um, so this is. One, I, I probably up until the last two years just kept to myself because uh, people look at you funny when you say this, um, but spit in your damn mop water. Spit in your mop water. Just just try it just one time. Listen, just try it just one time <laughs> and then tell me that it doesn't keep everyone in your house safe from harm, okay, that nobody gets if, sick. Oh. Nobody gets this... sick when you spit in your mop water. 
I don't know what to tell you. True? It just works. What if you have a virus? Yeah. So when did my whole house get the flu? When I didn't spit in my mop water. <laughs> Correlation, causation, superstition says causation. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know what to tell you guys. Anytime I have become un unbelievably ill or or sick or needed surgery. I had some last mop water. I don't know what to tell you. It's a thing. Um, some people will pee in their mop water. Not. I feel like that's tea, actually more sanitary. But, uh, your urine is actually not yeah. sterile. That is a common oh, okay, misconception. Um, particularly if you're an ill person, your urine is not sterile in any way, shape, or form. Um, the salt, so the salinity. If if you are absorbing enough sodium and all of that will keep it from being out of control, but it is not in any way, shape or form. What um, about your tears? Sterile. Can you cry into your <laughs> mop water? I'm, I'm sure many a woman in Appalachia has done such a thing. Um, I cannot oh, attest goodness. to its magical powers, um, but you sure felt good after crying into your mop water, I'm sure. And then just aggressively mopping the floor. I'm yeah. sure you felt better. So yeah, spin your mop water. Just try it, okay? Are we doing witchcraft or not? All right, get on board. As J. Allen Cross would say, spit in the damn or pee in the damn jar. Just are we doing witchcraft or not? Get on board, okay? <laughs> um, small white pebbles being rubbed against against warts or like blisters or legions of any kind, and then placed in a bag and left at the crossroads for someone to pick them up. So that your warts go away and you give them to somebody else. Oh. <laughs> oh. Again, that no transference. Comments. No comments. That transference. Um, again, I don't know how long wart juice – that's not the technical term, but let's go with it. <laughs> I don't know how long wart juice can stay alive on a thing, but that might literally just be because you guys are sp- spreading warts to each other. Uh, through literal physical transference. I don't know how that works. Don't you dare pick up a rock at a crossroad. (laughs) Well, it'll be in a bag. And that's the thing, right? People are it's not just like a pebble. People will be like, oh, what's this cool bag? Ew, weird. It just has pebbles in it. And I'm like, and you just got genital warts. That's unfortunate for you. (laughs) (laughs) Again, mind your fucking business. It's so simple. It's such a simple concept. Just don't do it, right? Um, Let's see. Uh, The use of different dirts and waters to heal maladies. So uh, graveyard dirt. So say say someone is essentially in hospice, right? There there is no turning this ship around. They are heading toward death. Um, Use of graveyard dirt in your workings to help them kind of ease their suffering across that boundary um, would be a common practice, as well as moon water to soothe night terrors. Yeah. So then we get into money and opportunity. So again, taking that spitting in your your mop water thing to your shop to help, you know, get you some more prosperity. Urine is often used in this. For some reason, urine is related to prosperity. Um, I, I just can't imagine people really love being in your place if it smells like pee, but you, you know, it's, it's gold, maybe the color association. Yeah. Something. I mean, hopefully it's not gold. Hopefully you're more hydrated, but <laughs> it could be gold. And then carrying um, a sachet of green, uh, any green stone um, and cinnamon to attract prosperity. So you're going to that job interview, stick it in your pocket, um, stick it in your little breast pocket. Um, it's often that things, shirts that have a breast pocket, that there's a good luck talisman or omen of some kind in that pocket. 
Um, similar kind of things with carrying lucky coins. So this is where I get the use of uncommon denomination for my, um, Owen altar is that that's a, a common thing of luck for where I'm from is carrying uncommon types of currency, um, and using them in those things. Same thing with hobo, hobo coins. Are you familiar with those? Mm-mm. So they were kinds of currency that were often given by um, people running the railroads, right? So we often came in contact with hobos. Um, but they they would essentially make coins to trade. They, they created their own damn currency. Mm. Uh, it was very cool. But you can they they design them themselves. They have like really interesting artwork on them. Um, so if you got a hold of a hobo coin that you didn't have to like use it for something, people often kept those um, also, and used them. Um, let's. So there's a lot of termini- terminology that can be offensive, right? Oh, for like sure. Hobo. But hobo was like actually like a culture of people who for sure. were houseless and would travel. And there's it's not just like a um, flippant word for someone who is houseless. It's mm-hmm. literally like a identity and a, yeah. personality. a person would say – and identify in that way. And it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily derogatory. I mean, it certainly wasn't like, oh, yay, you're brilliant and super well off. But it was also mm-hmm. not a derogatory term. I think that's yeah. valuable. Yeah. And I think we came up with different <laughs> versions of like, maybe more palatable use words to use like um, carpet baggers or things like that. But mm-hmm. often by choice, right? These people didn't see a lot of opportunity where they were. And so they right. would jump onto railroads and, and jump right. onto open cars and go wherever they wanted to. I mean, when you think right. about during that time, travel was often determined by railroads. So people could go anywhere they wanted, live out their travel dreams, a lot of times for free because you're just hopping in an empty cart or hopping in like maybe someone would allow you passage because they're like, ah, I don't have anything in this cart anyways. Yeah, you can hop on. Just don't steal anything. And then they would go wherever they wanted to go. And yeah, I mean, and, and in, the times, in the times of like Great Depression, that happened to a lot of people. So it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily uncommon for people to navigate their lives in that way. And hopefully they didn't have a family that they left. Um, hopefully, you know, they, Fingers they, crossed. Were, they were just uh, explorers. <laughs> Free spirits is, is that's what right. We, we that's call right. Them. That's yeah. what we'll believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hobo coins, and they're still called that to this day. They were, they were literally designed by people who maybe didn't have currency, but maybe had, you know, maybe they worked at a scrap metal yard or something. They had a scrap of metal and so they'd mm-hmm. like chisel it and, and they would draw these like pieces of art on them. And some of them are quite funny. Um, and so they would, they would use those as like good luck charms. Um, if a bee lands on you and doesn't sting, you'll receive money or an opportunity soon. Um, there are, are a lot of things about bees in the South, um, about like what, what if a hive is failing, what does that mean? And all of those kind of things. Um, but that one's, I, I know that one to be, um, something that I, I've heard and that I, I know to be a common concept. Um, the horseshoe, lots of people are familiar with the horseshoe and the horseshoe be associated with good luck so much so that Lucky Charms took it, put it on their box and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a horseshoe, a horseshoe being turned up above a door. So depending on where you're from, this is one of those that changes depending on where you're from. I always knew horseshoes to be upright above a door Mm -hmm. because it was capturing the luck and like keeping it in the home, ensuring it doesn't run out. But depending on where you're from, it may be turned downward above a door because it is it is losing its luck, but it's sprinkling the luck on the people going through the door. 
Um, again, both associations with luck, but literally the opposite converse of each other. Yeah, and- I, I've also been confused about that. Maybe it's like in a public place, you would want it to be up and then maybe in your home, you'd want it to be down. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I've only seen them up. And so the first time I saw one down, I was like, hung your horseshoe wrong um and and it's a it's a common thing in some places um so control so after having a baby a mother must go to the church first you know because after when you're postpartum and you're just bleeding down your legs the first thing you should be thinking about is going to the church um because you obviously need to be cleansed of your sin I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what you did. You hopefully had a baby not out of wedlock, I guess, or whatever. But uh, you need to go to be cleansed of your sin um, and, and give thanks for the traumatic experience you just went through. That's not enraging at all. Yeah. Uh, I will give you one guess where that one came from. The Christian church, right? That, that one we can directly divine back um, because it was called churching. It was called churching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's it's a it's a witchcraft practice. It's a practice mm-hmm. that many people believe and still believe to this day that that's the first place you should go, and anywhere else that you go brings misfortune to everyone else. Right? So nobody wants you to come to their house because if you come to their house, they're likely to be the next to be pregnant. And f- again, for a lot of people, pregnancy was not a positive thing all the time because. Mm-hmm. It, it was literally putting your life on the line. It was a safety thing. And so um, if you already have a house full of kids, don't you dare come to my house after having a baby. You better go to the church and get yourself cleansed first, right? So again, setting up the superstition that if you – nobody in the community wants you to come to their house first, but the church welcomes you and wants you to come in to their house. Um, same thing, crossing of legs to ward off evil right? Don't want the devil entering your vagina. So you better keep your legs crossed. Um, again, it, it's it's uh, manipulating control over people, perpetuating gender norms, perpetuating Christianity, all of those things. You don't have to like it or agree with it, but it is historically true. I'm going to tell you. Um, and then there's family gifts. So the belief that certain talents or aptitudes are spread down family lines Sometimes by gender, right? So all the females in our family have this gift, um, but sometimes by birth order. So like all of the seventh sons of a family have this gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would range really from like blood stopping. Um, so being able to, if someone is hemorrhaging blood or there is a wound, being able to stifle that um, that bleeding, again, often used by midwives, often used during um, – Probably not the cleanliest of surgeries, but necessary surgeries after a farming accident or something like that. Um, wart removers, people who were very attuned to removing this warts, sometimes through the means of these pebbles, but sometimes through the means of things like a, a cloth um, soaked in some kind of uh, typically alcohol. Again, dry it out, very practical application. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times in like um, herbal tinctures and things um, to then take it off of the person um, and, and remove it from them. Having the sight or second sight, as it's often called. And this this one I'm familiar with. Um, so it can be knowing that someone is pregnant. My mom knows when everyone is pregnant and she has never been wrong. Wow. She knew when I was pregnant with both of my kids at times when I was very unlikely to be pregnant. 
she knew that I was pregnant. Um, so I had my daughter very young. She called me up and she was like, are you pregnant? And I was like, no. And then sure enough, three weeks later, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, oh, wow. How does she know that? How does she know that? She um, ran a daycare for a really long time and she would knew she would know people were pregnant. Um, and it became a running joke that she always knew when people were pregnant, when they would drop their kids off, wow. um, before they were showing, before she just could tell that people were pregnant. Um, anticipating danger before it happens, kind of that Sir Raven style, you know what I mean? Where she's like, oh, don't touch that. And then <laughs> something cataclysmic happens and they're like, oh my God, Raven just saved somebody from imminent danger. Um, knowing when someone's health is failing. So being able to look at a, a healthy person who's maybe not symptomatic and being able to be like, are you feeling well? Like, is everything okay with you? Something seems off and knowing that something is, is going on there and being able to treat them having a green thumb. So, um, farmers again, probably just practical, uh, but being able farmers kind of spreading this knowledge and, and their superstitions and their patterns uh, of thought to children and it kind of being a thing that like these families for, were known for being really good farmers or really good kind of green thumb people. Um, dream walking, so prophetic dreaming, sometimes sleepwalking or sleep talking. Um, often it was believed that these were not disorders of sleeping. These were gifts of sleeping. Um, and as a prophetic sleepwalker, no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, it's terrible because oh, yeah. you wake up and you disturb everyone and you don't get good sleep. Um, but I do have very vivid dreams, um, where like I will remember them. Forever because um, my my brain uh, on a sleep pattern scale um, doesn't enter the the realm of sleep where it's kind of like um, not remembering where you where you like could wake up from like a trance state and you just don't really remember what happened. Um, it's it, my brain remembers these things because I am more conscious in these phases of sleep than I should be when dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we should do a whole episode on on dreams and sleep. You would have a lot to say. I would have so many thoughts. Um, I am very good at sleeping, so I don't know that I have a lot to say, but I'm a huge <laughs> fan. And then we get into cooking, right? Cooking is a big part of Appalachian culture. Um, one, because now that we have maybe gotten some prosperity and have some more resources, we love to make things taste good, right? We got some access to some seasonings love good food. Uh, we also like gathering and sharing that food with each other and sharing that prosperity um, in a very physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. And so you're often expected anytime there's a gathering to bring some kind of covered dish. And often those dishes were associated with the the event itself. So I think a lot of people are now familiar with like funeral potatoes um, and that those, that, Wait, that dish. What? What? Oh, Okay, so you're not familiar with funeral potatoes. Um, so it's potatoes uh, now. It's cooked in a lot of like cheese and and stuff. Um, but back then you only made them for funerals because cheese and milk and all of those things, oh. butter, unless you were someone who was a farmer, was very expensive. And so you would only make them essentially as an offering to the dead, mm -hmm. um, as sustenance for the family to lift their spirits. It was very rich food. So lots of butter, lots of salt, lots of cheese. So lots would of all you that. say that the potatoes were giving life? Literally. <laughs> um, or maybe just easing the life of the people who, who were mourning. 
But yeah, it, it's that same concept. So often those food, the food was cooked with intention or feeling. You were thinking about that person while your stuff was kind of on the stovetop, thinking about um, their life and what they'd been through, feeling sorrow for their families, um, that kind of thing. Or maybe it's a joyous thing um, and you're, you're thinking about that as you're cooking it. And then there's certain teas and gargles, right? So gargles being the one I'm most familiar with. Um, so this belief that um, we can kind of take certain things that we know to be either medicinally or spiritually related to the ailment that somebody's having, mix them up in a tea, put them in a gargle, and then we will make that person better um, by by cooking, by making something for them. Um, and then we're going to jump into something that I don't see enough of in books, and it makes me so sad um, because we kind of they talk around it a lot of times, but nobody really specifically talks to it. But um, the idea of language and sound and music uh, as in and of itself in the South being really a, a spiritual thing. So whether we're talking about music from the bluegrass perspective, or we're talking about the music in a Baptist church, or those sounds are very familiar to people. They're like, oh, that's bluegrass, or oh, that that's like Baptist church choir music. But those those are those are magical. They create an atmosphere. Um, they create a, a certain feeling when you hear those. When you're at a festival listening to those, um, that people tangibly feel and recognize. But we often don't think about them in in a spiritual sense. So it, it was often in um, workings that people would play music or make music. If you had a banjo, if you had a fiddle, um, that people would make music to aid in that working. But also if we just get down really to the basics, everyone's heard a Southern accent. So many people have made fun of Southern accents, right? But when we think from a, uh, what do you want all that? From a communication standpoint, um, if we think about the language phonetically, um, the South has a twang and a sound that one has many different dialects, right? Mississippi to Louisiana to Virginia to Tennessee, to, those accents are very different, but they all have a couple things um, in common. And one of those things is that we drop the consonants a lot of times at the end of words, right? So I, I just said times, times. I accentuated the I, really dropped the M, like didn't make that M hard. We drop the end of that word. And so it connects to the next word in almost like this sing-songy pattern. So when we're talking real fast, it really sounds like there's a lot of things going on. You don't really know what someone's saying because they're talking so fast and they're just kind of linking the words together. And it gives this kind of sing-songy rhythm. But if you're from a dialect who speaks very slowly, and Northerners will say this so often that like, <laughs> my God, it took them forever to get to the point. They often draw out those sounds. They don't. They don't accentuate the consonant. There's not this hard stop at the consonant. They draw out that sound into the next one, so that when they're talking, the cadence of speech almost gives this like rhythmic kind of sound to it. And then when you think about bluegrass music, it's a lot of the storytelling, but a lot of it almost is like spoken word. It, mm -hmm. a, a lot of times they're not they're not singing. They're not using like the full volume of this verse. This is not a, a, an opera. They're not using vocal range. They're just kind of stringing their words together along with the music, right? And we're setting a rhythm. We're setting a pace. And so it can often sound like spoken word almost, um, but to the backdrop of like a ding, 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 right? To the backdrop of a fiddle um, or a banjo. And so um, 
the sound of the language itself is kind of magical and it really lends itself well to magic. I don't know. Um, my partner was telling me about, um, he really is obsessed. He speaks like four languages, but he is obsessed with accents and like how people do um, impressions of accents and like how you get, you take one kind of accent and then you make it more like this and then it makes you get to another accent. Right. Well, apparently there's some dialect in um, British Isles somewhere um, that is like, if you just change a couple of things, instantly sounds like you're in Tennessee. Interesting. And so that's all. Yeah. Also, like this idea of accent representing representing the um, you know migration patterns of people mm-hmm. and how you just slightly change some things and you can see oh that's where those people came from. And they yeah. Well, when you think about like Welsh language, right? Mm-hmm. Welsh. Uh, a lot of it has that same, and that's where a lot of that came from it was it was the turning of that into english into, into the harshness english is a very harsh language it's very like meh, 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 meh. um and so and <laughs> that was a really I, good impression <laughs> that's actually exactly where charlie brown's teacher got her voice from it's like meh, 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 meh. um but anyways so it it comes from that but then you think you bring in all these other influences from all these other you know african people and like their languages and then you bring in the indigenous people and their languages that they already had a, like established mm-hmm. here and when you meld these things together this is kind of what we came up with but you also see it based on where people settle, settled in appalachia that really created the dialects. So while we all kind of have this same thing where we chop off the consonants at the end of the words and we kind of string them together, some of us faster and some of us slower, it's all the same thing, but the specific dialect really depends on who settled there and and Mm -hmm. why they settled there, how the language kind of changed. Um, And then if we talk about the actual phrases that we use, it's like being from the South is like a whole different language in a lot of places. There there are a lot of places where if you are not someone who's familiar with a Southern dialect and then you come on down, you don't know what the fuck they're saying. You don't know what we're talking about. Not just because of the speech and, and where they hold that speech in their mouth. And sometimes they put R's in words that don't have R's and all kinds of stuff. But because the literal words that they're using, if you don't know that connotation already, you're like, I don't, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. So some examples of that are saying like, well, he lives by the bottle instead of saying he's an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. So we say this in kind of these fanciful ways with these idioms and similes that convey a message sometimes in a nicer way, right? Uh, he lives by the bottle sounds a lot nicer than saying he's a raging alcoholic. Um, it sounds nicer to say that they live by the bottle. Um, same thing, just a peck and a pinch. That's a really nice way for saying I didn't measure that and I just like took some and sprinkled it on there. It just means a little bit. So if you just take a peck and a pinch of salt and put it on there, um, that's that's what we're talking about. But if you don't know what a peck and a pinch is, maybe you didn't get it from just a pinch, which is where that phrase comes from, just a pinch of. It's from a peck and a pinch. Um, then you might be like, I don't, I don't know how much salt to add to this thing, so I'm just not going to. And then your food's going <laughs> to be bad. Um, or if we talk about a lick of damn sense, right? I think most of us can say a, a lick of damn sense. It means they don't have any sense, um, but it really means the smallest drop, right? A lick, a, a little mm-hmm. bit of saliva. It, it's not having a drop of intelligence. So he doesn't have a lick <laughs> of damn sense. Um, so yeah, all of those things, I think, kind of culminate into 
almost setting the stage or setting the environment for there to be a lot uh, of whimsy in this place because everybody's kind of speaking in this way. The land is very magical and expressive. Um, the way we deal with things as a society is in a certain way. And so it really like sets the stage for there to be kind of a rich cultural history of magic there. Um, and that's, that's that. where we're at with the fire stuff. Love it. Awesome. So we're going to break here before we get into the water and the earth aspects. And we'll include those conversations in our next episode. Yeah. All thanks, right. Danny. This of has been course. so interesting. I feel like there's so many things that I resonated with and I have practiced being someone who lives in the South and grew up here. And there's other things that I had no idea, like a haint. Who knew? Gotta Who watch knew? out. You gotta watch out for the haints. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be careful. All right, guys. Well, we will catch you up next time with the water and the um, earth integrations of this topic. Um, we at first were like, we're gonna go full force for it. But the more we're like talking about it, we're like, we might need to break this up so that people actually, you know, hear it and understand it. So um, as always, witches, blessed be and be welcome.